Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Media Voices. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. I'm Esther Thorpe. And I'm Peter Houston. And as you'll have heard from our last episode, this is a new format for this season in the run-up to our annual report. So we're going to be doing 10 episodes deep diving into topics from subscriptions and memberships to local news platforms, emerging tech. I can't wait to talk about NFTs, looking at significant <laughs> events from this year and how publishers have been affected. And we're going to be bringing in a media expert for every single episode. And this week, we're joined by Laura Riley, who is senior correspondent at Insider, formerly known as Business Insider. Laura's covered the media and advertising industries of publications, the Wall Street Journal, Digiday, Marketing Week. You know all these names for more than a decade now. Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So we will be writing up um, all of the topics that we're discussing this season. They're all going to be featured in our annual Media Moments 2022 report. Um, That's going to be released on November the 30th. Uh, You can pre-register to receive the report so that you don't have to remember the date november the 30th uh, so we'll send you that as soon as it goes live if your name is in our box over at voices.media slash mm22 fantastic uh first though this season and media moments 2022 wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors pool pool is the membership and subscription suite used by over 120 publishers around the world the team behind pool are industry experts who put everything they know into the product ready to respond to your how of launching and developing a reader revenue strategy but peter why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about advertising. Everybody's favorite. You really sold it. Uh, well, it's, this year's been nuts in the ad market. Yeah. It's been a roller coaster ride, as someone has helpfully explained <laughs> it in the notes. Um, massive growth in the first part of the year uh, and not so massive growth in the second part of the year. Esther, why don't you tee us up here with some of those trends that we've seen over the past 12 months? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I think it probably helps just to rewind a bit to 2020. So uh, the whole ad market like ground to halt in April, May 2020. Um, but it then well, well, had huh? this... <laughs> we've, we've blocked it out, we've blocked it out. Um, but it then had this huge surge as... Well, digital advertising had this huge surge as basically everybody was sat at home on their computers doing um, nothing. Um and it's it's continued to grow. Um, there have been some kind of big doom and gloom headlines in the latter half of this year because people have said, oh, um, it's all slowed down. Well, yeah, it was going to because the growth was mental. Um, so there was, the, there was a big Wall Street Journal headline that was like, oh, you know, it's crunch time for the, for the tech giants because Google only grew by 22% in the first three months of this year. Um, to me, that's, that's insane, right? Why, why are we pitching that as a slowdown? Well, that's a point, actually. So, Laura, what's happened with the sentiment around that? Because, as I mentioned, some of the big tech companies have posted less than stellar results, or that's been the sort of the reception to them. Yeah, I think the the kind of like 30,000 foot view is like the advertising world's just coming back down to earth, as Esther said, after kind of these really odd pandemic trends that put almost kind of everything off kilter, really. Um and I think the issue that, that some of the tech giants are, are having, um, well, that there's lots of issues that have all compounded at once. Um, yeah, as, as you say, they're, they're still growing, but but growth is slowing. Why is that? Because some of them have have reached their ceilings, um, and there's only so much, there's only so many years you can continue growing at twenty percent or thirty percent. Um, it's just a kind of a natural evolution, really. Um, but yeah, there's there's all these things that are kind of still happening, um, you know, post-pandemic lags, but you've got things like lockdowns that are still persisting in China and the war in Ukraine that's ca- causing kind of supply chain bottlenecks. Um, 
add to that, you've got rising inflation, you know, particularly around essentials like food and energy, and that's putting strains on people's spending habits. Um, you know, you've got higher interest rates, um, increased what a wages. Time to be alive. <laughs> um, but yeah, but basically, what happens? You know, the, the reason things are looking gloomy is that in the past, in tough times, rightly or wrongly, marketing's usually the the first thing that gets cut. So that's why a lot of the industry forecasters are revising down their their estimates for the global ad market in 2022. But to be sure, it's still growing. Mm. I think it was what was it Zuckerberg who basically said, "Yeah, we 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 have not seen headwinds like this since we started Facebook advertising effectively." And I think it was Sorrell as well who was basically like, "Oh, we need to we need to trim, or rather, we need to sort of manage our expectations." But that's um, that's because Facebook didn't have an ad business in the last recession. Let's be honest. You know that the whole consumer goods thing, I think, has taken a hit because that's where the confidence is probably weakest because of that inflation and whatever. But that's a Again, if I can step back a little bit, that idea that growth was so big is a weird one for me because, yeah, it was still growth. There was still more money going on, but it was growth off a non-existent base. Uh, And I think that's part of what you're seeing. Like Lara said, it's that coming back to earth. It's a normalizing. Well, normal is not a word we use anymore, is it? It feels like we're just at the beginning of something. We're not. We're not right in the middle of it. Why did you say that so ominously? That's like because what, I honestly that's what Gandalf would have said at the start of well, like Lord of the Rings. Well, for not the first time I've been called Gandalf. <laughs> I, I just I think Esther's right and wrong at the same time. I think Wait, her nat- I think her nat- natural optimism. Laura, I'm sorry you had to see this. They they do this all the time, and I try to edit it out, but they always I, fight. They bickering. I think, <laughs> I think her natural. I hope she's right, but I don't think she is. Okay, but we can talk about some of those hard stats. So um, digital advertising, as we've mentioned, is growing at a much faster pace than some of the other mediums. It's forecast to account for 67% of global ad spend this year. But one of the big things that we've seen over the past, well, God, two years now, is this constant kicking down the road of changes around cookies. So, Laura, where are where are we at with that at the time of recording, and where are we likely <laughs> to be at when this goes out in two weeks' time? I mean, I I, I just think cookies are, are like the the cockroach of digital advertising, and they're just going <laughs> to stick around forever. So, um, we break the news actually that um, Google was once again delaying its phase out of cookies in the Chrome browser to at least 2024. So that's the second time it's it's delayed that. And there still isn't any consensus on the alternative because there's lots of differing opinions. And no matter which side you're on, Google's seen as the, the, the bogeyman no matter what. Um, and it's also got the threat of kind of antitrust hanging over every decision it makes because ultimately – every decision will probably benefit Google in some way more than it will a publisher. What would you say is behind some of that, um, that those delays? Is it just that the the rest of the marketing industry isn't ready, is asking for more time? Where's that delay coming from? Yeah, I, th- um, I think a big thing that we wrote about was that they were, they were struggling to get um, – people to test it ultimately like people didn't didn't want to kind of hand over their data or publishers didn't want really? to kind of let let google in um they they feel like they already kind of hand up over enough of their data to google and i say the other thing is just that you've got this forum where everybody's kind of debating um you know what 
what should replace cookies um, in various different aspects for, t- for targeting, for measurement. Um, and, you know, different people want different things. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult to get ad tech companies and publishers and tech platforms and privacy advocates to have consensus on pretty much anything. Yeah. This this kind of winds me up a bit because like cookies are one, third party cookies are one of those technologies that they are really crappy technology and they should have never been allowed. And the the problem here is that nobody can agree on a technology that is less crappy but just as effective at invading people's privacy. That's a problem. It's effective. Like there are going to be huge numbers of businesses that go out, like probably rightly out of business as a result of this, and they're, they're obviously going to fight this absolutely tooth and nail. But Google are in a really hard place here because, like, you know, all the Apple browsers have turned it off, Firefox has turned it off, and they're not getting any of the blowback from this. Google is having to almost sort of lead everybody towards some sort of solution that is is probably not what well, it's going to cost them all money. Isn't that what Lara was saying there before? It's just because they are so dominant and they do have yeah. such control over the market that inevitably any change that they make is going to face some pushback. And this but one is just so fundamental. I, I know we're going to talk about Apple later, so I don't want to get too much into it right this second. But Apple has gone and made enormous changes with virtually no consequence for them. Yeah, well, but again, I think that's going to come back and bite up on the ass. No, it's not. It's done completely the opposite at the moment. No, you're already seeing stories about evil Apple, about Apple gaming the market. You're already seeing those stories, and and Apple is still. I know you don't want to get into Apple yet, but Apple's <laughs> still, Apple's still only seventh in the market. You know they weren't in the market twelve months ago. <laughs> and that, but that's the point. They, they are now in the market because they screwed everybody else. <laughs> okay, well, well, we can no, talk they, about that. They, they, they screwed the business world. If you're a consumer, it's an excellent decision and you get your privacy oh, yeah. quite Eventually, much protected. Uh, yeah, absolutely, until Apple controls everything and then they start screwing the consumer. We can talk about it. Let's talk about <laughs> we all this. We know how many <laughs> But listen, so before then, Esther, I remember it was only a couple of years ago now we were talking to uh, Future and, uh, and a bunch of the other publishers, and they basically saw this deprecation of the third-party cookie as an opportunity for them. So how have publishers responded in the last, what, 12 months? I think, uh, Peter, you were actually speaking to a couple of them at Cam, weren't you? And there, and there was, there's, some, yeah. there's some frustration that it just delays. Publishers mm. are very much ready for this now. They've been ready, you know, this... this change for the most part benefits them but it kicks the can down the road for the advertisers they work with who are then saying oh it's fine we can just use this old technology for a little while longer and publishers are then they're like yes we've got all this lovely you know this first it's first party data all this stuff sitting here we can offer you quite good stuff and yeah it, it's it's not particularly helpful for the ones that are ready i think there was a mix of frustration and relief I don't think it was all just frustration. I think they were thinking, oh, okay, we don't actually have to pull the trigger on this yet. But the big conversation that I was hearing, I, I had a drink with some guys that had been on a boat with some Google people on a yacht, I should say. We don't call them boat in the car. <laughs> and uh, and so the, conversation, the conversation was, will this ever happen? Will Google ever actually do this? Uh, because, like Lara's saying, there's no viable alternative right now that everyone's getting behind. Yeah, and I think you add to that like just the economic downturn, um, which is making everybody kind of cautious to start new projects or to make investments in things that don't automatically equal revenue. So 
yeah, I've been speaking to people who don't, you know, can't even see testing getting off the ground until um, next year. So let alone cookies being deprecated, you know, actually testing some of this stuff, um, some of these alternatives to, to try and figure out what works best. Um, nothing's happening this year, apparently. Okay, well, that's what that's one we're going to have to come back to in media moments twenty twenty three. Then apparently, uh, one of the, apparently the delayed major, till twenty twenty five. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. One of the things that has, I suppose, blindsided a bunch of commentators this year has been the blacklists around certain keywords um, and what impact that has had on publisher revenue. And I think it's something that we've known has been ongoing for some time, but actually seeing it so starkly around the Ukraine war, Trump, and even Brexit to some extent still has. Uh, you know, the, the implication is that it's actually costing publishers money. So, Peter, what's actually going on with uh, blacklists and whose side are we on? Publishers are saying it's a bad idea and there's all sorts of th- <laughs> intellectual arguments around why you should just advertise and stop using blacklists. But, again, <sighs> marketers going to market, right? So they're always going to do this. The big one you missed out was COVID. Oh, God, I did. Um, How? Wow. I think I've turned a corner. <laughs> that was not my, the first thing that came to mind. I, th- I think the environment for this is, you know, we'll talk about this in a different episode, but the environment in the, around this is news avoidance mm. and, and that idea that <laughs> people are just tired of reading bad news. <laughs> Kinda, or I have sympathy with marketers that are thinking, oh God, just keep me away from this stuff. Just put, <laughs> put me next to the poppies and the sunflowers. But, but wasn't there, as a, as a counterpoint to that, wasn't there some research, as I think you spoke about this in a previous episode, that basically said that, in fact, consumers do not care and they almost have a sort of halo effect around brands that choose to advertise against this kind of stuff? Yeah, there, there were two studies out last year that showed that. Um, I don't think there's been anything particularly that's changed with that this year, but I suppose it's just the as more block lists appear, and I think Ukraine was a big one that a lot of publishers covered in some form or another, there's, there's, there's very little content on the site that advertisers are happy to have, mm. have their stuff appear next to you, which is, is problematic. Isn't part of that the fact that the block lists are pretty blunt instruments? Mm-hmm. I think it's a real issue when you see, um, sometimes you can kind of see advertisers blocking in, in real time because you can see that the ad slot has been replaced by just a picture of some random shapes or whatever. Um, and sometimes, again, you know, it kind of makes sense if you're writing about a deathly, you know, a massacre or something, mm. but I, as in, I don't think it makes sense at all. Cause I don't, I don't think actually adjacency to that is going to, um, have any impact or any negative impact, I should say on a, on an advertiser, but I've seen and written about, you know, like the New York times homepage being blocked. I've seen the wall street journal <laughs> homepage, like these, <laughs> these like blank ads appearing on the wall street journal homepage. And you just think, you know, what advertiser wouldn't want to, to mm. advertise there unless, unless you're an advertiser that's in the news for the wrong reason. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that kind of makes sense. But, I, I, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just can't, I, I, I'm, um, I'm always flabbergasted when I see some of these lists. Um, I wrote earlier this year actually about brands blocking climate content too. And we're not just talking about BP or whatever. We're just, we're talking about everyday kind of CPG brands blocking words like ozone layer and, um, you know, climate change. And I I just, I don't see the logic in that. We're talking there about major events and impacting the ability of publishers to make, um, and platforms actually to generate revenue, not to date the episode too much, but we are about three days into the queue for people lining up to see the queen lying in state. And we've seen 
total ad blackouts from a bunch of the platforms. We know that they're going to do that again on Monday, which is the day of the actual funeral. So I suppose to what extent do we think that this is, um, is this meaningless PR guff? Or is this actually, you know, general respect on behalf of... And I recuse myself from this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I had a blank sheet of paper, I'd hold it up. No, you'd get arrested, Peter. You'd get arrested. But it's it's predictable, isn't it? It's going to be, you know, I'm sure the last couple of weeks have been some, again, traffic records for publishers. Um, yeah, it's, oh, they it's have too been. early to see the stats, but it's, it's, again, it's just traffic that, rightly or wrongly, they perhaps cannot monetize. <laughs> Okay, well, moving on. Um, digital video spending, we mentioned this briefly before, expected to top $168 for every internet user in the US. But ads are having to be super short. Esther, why don't you take us through effectively what is going on with digital video advertising? Oh, gosh. I, <laughs> we've packed a lot into this, haven't we? I know. You keep, you keep <laughs> pulling these little direct um, questions, Chris. It's killing us here. Yeah, th- this, this is... <laughs> well, you should have been, been the host really driven by, unsurprisingly, TikTok and the social platforms that have gone all in on um, short video now. The problem with short video is that if you want to monetize short video, you've got to have an even shorter ad, otherwise nobody will watch the short video. So um, the studies have shown, like, if basically if an advert is anything longer than 10 to 15 seconds, which is quite a long time, um, people just close it out, especially if the video is only 30 seconds. That's a lifetime, um, really. But, I mean, given given you know the way that Instagram and Snapchat and the rest are monetizing their stories, there's there's, we've not even hit the ceiling in that yet. Laura, what is, I suppose, driving that um, that increase in digital video ad spend? Is that just where consumers are spending their time? Is it the fact that it's you know a different audience cohort on these platforms? I mean, a, a whole lot of different things. I just think that, um, well, one, access to fast internet, whether it's at home or on the go, um, has become a lot easier. So, it, you know, we can, our, our data plans or whatever can stomach video and we're watching more of it. TikTok changed the game with as far as con- consumer behavior is concerned. Um, people spend a, a heck of a long time um, interacting with TikTok every day. Um, and I think also just marketers, whether they're big or small, and I think a lot of this has been um, kind of a f- TikTok was a bit of a forcing mechanism, but um, I think it happened earlier with Facebook too. Marketers are just becoming more sophisticated at producing video ads, particularly ones that are like they're short ads, but they've got that hook. Um, usually, the, you know, the product in use, use of kind of like UGC type content, um, and and creators too, right? The, the creator economy, you, you know, you can you can get a, an influencer to um, shoot, produce a, a video fairly. Um, quickly and also kind of cheaper than than doing your your kind of standard video shoot and i think that's driving it too only a couple of years ago you know the first um, platform we'd have spoken about in terms of digital video advertising is youtube and we mentioned that at the top of the hour but now it's really kind of those short form videos which i suppose is why youtube has introduced shorts which clog up my youtube <laughs> app every time i try and watch something it's constantly recommending me a short esther you look like you're <laughs> you look like you might be on TikTok. No. I suppose the shorts I do watch are Instagram stories, but those tend to be very much user-generated. And mm. Instagram's got a great feature where you can just swipe past the advert. Something we always do in our Media Moments report is look forward to next year. God, everything's subject to change. But what do we foresee as being some of the big trends that we're going to be talking about next year? 
Yeah, and again, I've got huge issues with the terminology here because there was a Guardian piece that came out that, that forecast a car crash year for the ad market in 2023. <laughs> Next year's true. growth is only 6.4% compared to 8% growth this year. Like that's that's given given the headwinds we're facing. Growth is good, right? I don't think growth is... Yeah, absolutely. Growth doesn't deserve the label of car crash. So <sighs> discuss. It's that, it's that cooling effect <laughs> that it's going to happen on everything, I think. Yeah, you know, the, the whole well, the whole thing with that is it's fears, right? It's fears of a contraction. They've already revised projections down a couple of times. This is where I say your optimism is probably misplaced because I don't think there will be six point four percent growth. I think it'll be tighter than that because, particularly in some markets, we're in for a hell of a time. Hello there, it's Chris. I'm now talking to you on the 2nd of October 2022. And those of you who live in the UK will know that this is now hopelessly out of date as a result of the mini budget. So please do bear in mind that we recorded this before an absolute car crash couple of weeks for the Tory government. <laughs> I think a lot of the rest of what we say still holds up. Let's let's dig into that because what markets there are we particularly talking about? I was talking to Future not too long ago and they were basically saying, you know, a lot of their household goods are going to remain pretty constant, but entertainment seems like it's going to be one of the first things that gets cut. To go back to the thing about household goods, um, so CPG advertisers or FMCG as we call them here, um, they're they're all kind of actually raising their marketing spend at the moment. And part of the reason is because because they're putting up their prices, they need to communicate uh, why they their products have better value or they have some better features or, or whatever it might be than than others because when you're in this kind of tight spending market people trade down in categories that have weaker brands um so you know it's it's up to, it's up to fmcg marketers to really display their their strengths that's why they're increasing marketing also just because <laughs> it's it's kind of like a virtuous circle because they're increasing their prices they can also um afford to spend kind of more of their their money on um on marketing and the, the other thing have you heard of the the lipstick index so it's this this no. theory this? so basically it's this theory um now it was it was apparently coined by um the former chairman of um, Estee Lauder so um, <laughs> okay. make of that what you will but it's the theory that sales of affordable luxuries kind of rise during economic downturns because we can't splurge on cars and jewelry but we can treat ourselves with the odd lipstick or a nice coffee from Starbucks or something like that this, so there's a lot of that going on too. Crunch didn't it because there was a lot like people couldn't like people what's the point wearing makeup if you're working from home all day right? Yeah, exactly. And also if you're wearing a mask. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's another thing. People are going out a little bit more. Um, I mean, in terms of categories that are hurting. Um, car spend, aut automotives. Yeah, automotive, because they, they've got a lot of supply issues at the mm. moment. So actually prices of cars are really high. The problem is is just getting them, <laughs> getting them off the forecourt, well, getting them to the forecourt, sorry, not not getting them off. Um, you know, they can't, they just can't produce them quick enough because um, there's lots of supply chain issues, particularly around like the computer chips. Mm. So that's that's been an issue. Um, and then obviously, you know, it, that could compound if people can no longer afford to buy cars. Like Peter said, what a time to be alive. It's, it's really interesting because it's a, a bit like the pandemic. Everyone's kind of affected differently. And you see things like uh, 
you know, travel has bounced back because there's lots of pent up demand. Um, but then you see kind of other categories like, you know, te- tech or crypto or whatever, um, uh, you know, they're not having such a boom year. Tech has been such an interesting one to look out for because, as you mentioned, you know, we're, we're seeing shortage of components as a result of which we've seen completely unprecedented stuff like uh facebook putting up the well meta putting up the price of its meta quest 2 sony raising the price of its playstation 5 without introducing any new features so as you mentioned the kind of the advertising around that has gone into less around um the actual product themselves and more about their exclusive capabilities but it does seem to be there's going to be this huge crunch coming down and i wonder if that's why we saw again not today the episode but last night um, vast swathes of, of editorial jobs lost across some of those kind of quality gaming titles. Um, so Fanbyte, Future, G4, all cut headcount. And I wonder if that's in part because of fear of what's coming down the pipe just in terms of marketing spend. You've just written about this with um, some of the ad tech companies that started to do this as well. They're getting twitchy about next year. Yeah, I, I mean, I think some of it also is that um, in the boom time, so this kind of like 2021, um that was a rebound. Well, when <laughs> the thing was, it was if, for certain companies because money was really cheap. <laughs> there was lots of, you know, the stock markets were rising high. Um, you know, this pent up demand for advertising had had returned. Um, sorry, yeah, people were advertising again, and I think a lot of companies overhired during that period for for whatever reason and thinking that this is what life was going to be like forever and then kind of reality hit and a lot of you know so people like snap for example have stopped spending um sorry have stopped their investment in areas that aren't conducive to revenue now um and i think that's happening with with a lot of companies across the board facebook's just done that as well haven't they they're product development group or innovation group or whatever mm-hmm. you call and that's they, right so well, they're, they're copying other people group i think that's what it's called <laughs> we've seen that as well with some of those kind of those new e-commerce functionalities so some of the live stream shopping seems to have been cut back significantly on this platform so potentially these are all the canaries in the coal mine yeah definitely i mean live shopping is a bit of a different one i i think anyway just just one person's opinion but i think because it it it's taken off massively in China and other parts of Asia, but the just the, the culture there is is so much different to, to the way um, we kind of interact with kind of celebrities and influencers mm. and so on in, in the West and the way that we kind of consume media and the way that we buy things. And I think the, the thinking was, oh, we can just replicate that here and it's not quite had the same effect. I think one of the overall things here, and um, actually what's been publishing, um, published a piece on this quite recently, that they'd spoken to these ad execs, and they'd sort of pointed out that actually that because of the past three years, it's been so turbulent, um, the ad industry has actually got a bit of a thicker skin, and people have become very used to disruption. We've become very used to disruption, and the industry has sort of got a little bit more resilient. So although... Like everybody's pointing back to 2009 and going, oh, you know, is it going to be a massive recession again like that? And I, I think the conditions are very, very different. You, know, you look at unemployment, like employment rates are at record, well, at, at record highs. Um, consumer spending is pulling back, but it's not collapsed yet. It, it's very, we are in a very different situation to 2009. And I don't think we have to be quite as bleak about the outlook for the ad market. Okay. I so think also was, it's like, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think also kind of why, ad execs are probably more optimistic is because 
their businesses aren't as reliant on just producing ads anymore. Um, you know, they, and maybe the recession was part of that, but as in the, the prior recession, sorry, um, you know, they realized they had to diversify their businesses. So now they offer things like e-commerce and digital transformation and data, and they advise on privacy and, and all these things that aren't linked to spend and don't get affected when, you know, the ad market cools off. Um, and Peter in the blue corner, your rebuttal. <laughs> well, the bottom line is advertising is focused on future revenue. The first thing that gets caught when current revenue is down is advertising. And maybe it shouldn't be. You know, Procter & Gamble increased their spend during the pandemic and grew market share. Maybe that's what everyone should be doing. And our man Andy Oakes, friend of the podcast, has just this morning in his newsletter say it's the slowest Q3 he's seen in a long time. Um, and everyone's hopes on Q4. So I hope you're right, Esther, but I don't think you are. Well, let's talk about some of our key moments from 2022, and I'm going to keep mine short and sweet um, because Esther's going to talk about ad blocking, which would have been my choice in a second. But I think we should see why it might have come back to pre-2018 levels, I think. Yeah, we've got to this point in the cycle where everyone's an ad business now. Mm. Um, you know, Netflix that said it would never do advertising. Deliveroo. Um, the Athletic, which said it would never do advertising. Yeah, Deliveroo, Uber, you, you know, you name it. If you've got an app, if you have a website that attracts traffic, if you're Tesco, you know, whoever, you, you're doing advertising. Um, because, you know, people reach the um, the saturation point of their subscription models and mm. it's an easy lever to pull. That's such an interesting one. Who was it? Not even, it was only a couple of years ago who did exactly that. Was it BuzzFeed? Am I thinking of BuzzFeed? BuzzFeed, who said they'd never do programmatic ads. Programmatic, And that's then it. they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. turned it on, yeah. So for me, that's a sensible move. I think that that I <laughs> that, that all ads are bad crowd has been firmly put back in their box. <laughs> um, you know, wh- whether that was Netflix or whether it was, you know, Substack or whether it was The Athletic. You know, you've, you're, of all of us, you're the one that slams the athletic at every opportunity you possibly can for that kind of grift. Well, this is NYT. This is NYT. You know, well, the, the, is, the athletic grifter was different. Try that, was a, that, that was a different try, scam. Try telling that to an athletic subscriber. Yeah. You know, there's a piece in pointer this week that's basically <laughs> lists all the comments <laughs> from athletic subscribers saying, you lied. <laughs> so yeah it's the NYT but it's the athletic subscribers that are going to kick off about it but ultimately I think it's a sensible move um, I think the issue is going to be and this is where I disagree with the make hay while the sun shines thing that's classic media short termism mm. what people have to do is do it properly they've got to avoid that race to the bottom that we all seem to always get caught up in. We love was it, it. Was it Brian Morrissey that wrote about the mayo sandwich thing this year? And he said it's it's like making a sandwich. Like you, so mayo is nice. And I think he he used to play a game where he'd add more and more mayo until the customer complained. And you can add quite a lot before people complain. <laughs> but it's it, it doesn't take much of the sandwich to that. stop being decent. Um, and, and, and it's exactly the same with advertising. You, know, you, you can have a little bit and it complements and it makes a lovely publishing sandwich. But and you can you can keep layering on, you can keep layering on, and people won't complain until it gets ludicrous. But at that point, you're 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 well past the point it was acceptable. 
I'm so stealing that analogy. That is brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's really annoying that the only arguments I can come back with are just purely based on that metaphor and nothing about the actual substance of what he's saying. <laughs> like, yeah, but mayo's not that great for you. Like, it's, it's not, <laughs> nothing that actually engages with the discussion. Uh, I suppose that leads quite neatly onto, Laura, your point for the year, which is uh, a new entrant, or rather kind of a an existing entrant that's really supercharged what they're doing this year. So what's going on with Apple? Yeah, I think, yeah, Apple's really the, the kind of the sleeping giant of the ad industry, and it's just kind of beginning to wake up, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of reasons why that has happened. Um, I mean, you... You might remember that last year they rolled out some privacy changes that um, forced developers to ask users before they trapped them. And lo and behold, most people say that they don't want to be tracked, um, which means that it's more difficult to to kind of target ads at specific types of people and measure whether your campaigns are working. Um, and one beneficiary of this change um, has been Apple because um, if it's harder to advertise on, you know, your app on Facebook or um, on Snapchat or whatever because you're not reaching the right people or, or you can't tell if you've, you've reached the right people. Um, Apple has an ad unit for you, and um, so Apple just has pretty much um, the majority of its advertising is is in its app store. Um, it sells search ads and it also serves like a, a little, an, another ad unit in there. And it's about to add, add a couple of more, more by the end of the year. Um, but, and, it, and Apple doesn't release its numbers on advertising. So we don't know for sure how big it is, but most analysts kind of predict that, um, or sorry, estimate that its search ads business grew by about like 200%. Um, up between the, you know, in the year that basically they, they introduced the privacy change. There's also a bit of contention because it didn't actually um, it, it didn't offer this the same um, requirement for its own apps and, and services. Oh, that was a surprise. <laughs> yeah, it it did check. So basically, that like personalized ads, as they call it, not scary tracking ads, but personalized <laughs> ads was kind of turned on by default, and then maybe it, it classifies like, that as f- like it. It's first-party data, isn't it? Because Apple essentially has that direct relationship and it's just cut everybody else off unless they give permission, which nobody does. Right, right. I mean, it did change. It it released a later update, um, maybe in response to some of this criticism or a lawsuit um, that's filed in France. (laughs) But um, who knows what what prompted this decision? But um, they they changed it so they were asking for for permission up front. But again, it it was around personalized ads, those beautiful personalized ads and not the evil tracking. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, uh, it's really had so many ripple effects on the, the kind of ad industry. Facebook probably felt the brunt of the changes, but yeah. I mean, what I'm just really interested in is just the growth of Apple as, as an advertising business. Um, and you've got all sorts of estimates out there that it, it could grow to something like 20 billion if it extended ads to, you know, its other services. I think things like, um, you know, it's it's gaming service that I've completely blanked on the name of. Or that's it. Arcade, that's it. And you know, Apple TV especially. Because um, I, I they also talked about bringing ads into Maps. As they well. are doing that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I, we published a piece on the drum not too long ago that basically said they're going for a proper scorched earth approach on that. <laughs> they're just bringing. They're just bringing. Then you know, they're not actually changing the map to a scorched earth, but they're just going all in on ads. And if people don't like it, 
they can feel free to fuck off and go elsewhere. Apparently, because <laughs> Apple have got that really that 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 quite scary advantage in that the Apple users and the Apple audience are incredibly valuable. They're the people that are happy to spend five hundred dollars on life. Is that how much they are? Or are they more expensive these days? They're more expensive than that, I think. But because all their tech is quite high end and quite premium, if people are willing to spend, it implies that they've got money to spend on other stuff as well as thousand dollar MacBooks and and all that other stuff. I just but that's well, also why they need to really avoid pissing people off. Um, I just was going back to what Laura was saying there about personalized versus tracking <laughs> that's so insidious <laughs> in a way it's like no that no we serve ads in the same way that you know your mum knows what to buy you for christmas <laughs> no, we, no, we love you it's genius it's yeah. genius um well esther why don't you take us through what's we mentioned it before but why why have you chosen ad blocking because i remember this 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 to me feels like the acid brain of um the digital advertising ecosystem and that it used to be a huge problem people got reports on all yeah. the time and then it sort of went away for a bit um i've chosen it because actually everybody's ignoring it and it really makes me laugh um so there was a report out from page fair uh, last month that said ad, ad blocking is returning to all-time highs of 2018 that sounds quite scary but actually it had a, the tiniest of dips in between that and um it's just sort of been in the grand scheme of things, fairly static for the last few years. But it's been static at 290 million people actively blocking adverts worldwide. Is that just on desktop? That's just on desktop. Yeah. Um, but mobile ad rates are also starting to rocket. So, so mobile's had this thing where it's always been more difficult to monetize um, via display ads because there's you know, you've got a tiny screen space, so you can't sort of constantly – well, you can, but it's a bad idea to constantly fill it with ads – so the the revenue per user on mobile is much lower anyway. So that mobile ad blocking isn't such a concern as of yet. Publishers don't really have any idea what to do about this. They tried these ad block walls where they said, "Hi, we noticed you're using an ad blocker. Can you please turn it off?" And unsurprisingly, the majority of people just went nah and clicked off the page. So they thought, "Well, that's that, that made me feel quite nostalgic." <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So there's been a big move what? away from that because it's kind of better to have people. I remember reading writing the those stories years ago. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah right, right, right. <laughs> we were writing those stories at media briefing five, yeah, we were, yeah. five years ago, six years ago. But yeah, it just kind of makes me chuckle because uh, nobody seems to really know what to do about it. It's up to a third of revenue on pages is being lost to this. Well, at the risk of sounding like a broken record. Stop publishing shitty ads. But it does. If if you've already made the decision to install an ad block, it doesn't matter how good your ad experience is. The user has already made that decision. So it takes one publisher with one awful web experience, cough for each, um, to make somebody decide to install an ad blocker. <laughs> I, I think also like a lot of people block um, download their ad blockers for specifically to get rid of the ads on YouTube. Because um, of what we were saying, yeah. You know, previously, they're they're just stuffing more and more pre-roll in, and people, a lot of people, use YouTube like a music player, or they use it like a, you know, like like their second TV, which is a real shame if they're, you know, obviously then keeping it on when they want to visit a news site or a, you know, a, a, another publisher. I think it's going to have to become more important because if if we have this move to publishers wrote like the contextual advertising that that kind of market which does benefit publishers they're gonna they're gonna have to sort of start looking at this and if they are serving higher value ad campaigns generally getting more money in for the adverts they're serving it's gonna it's gonna have to get their agenda but again i don't know what they do about it i think it will change in one segment when 
publishers start really focusing on their own first party data or or um you know that kind of aggregated first first dish party data because if you've got registered users they've already bought in whatever ads you show them they're going to be okay with it's it's a drive-by traffic that's a nightmare for people that's where it's really really difficult because there's no loyalty with those people and, and ad blocking is just part of that yeah i think one we've spoken about this before the thing that i think might work and i, I think peter you pushed back at this at the time because you're irascible, was um, whether, I like it, say, TV Tropes does it, where they say, oh, this is the 47th um, article you've read this month, you know, consider mm. whitelisting us. So it's not necessarily that interruptive. They only do it every couple of visits. And it makes you go, oh, you know, I do use this fairly frequently. Well, I think appealing to people's better natures is, <laughs> is a lose proposition. I think you've got, to, uh, you've got to just deliver a really good service. And that, again, I sound like a broken record, but that's what this all comes back to. Stop to treating people like idiots. <laughs> well, that is about it for our rapid tour through Media Moments 2022's take on advertising. We, I mean, there's so much there we could have spoken about. I'm sure we will talk about every single thing we mentioned in much greater detail in the near future. So Esther, if people want to get any more information about this, where can they sign up for Media Moments 2022? You can download the report on November the 30th by going to voices.media slash mm22. Um, You can also pre-register, so we'll send it to you as soon as it's live. Very nice. And we'd like to say a special thanks to Lara for coming on and uh, giving us her insight on some of this. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Of course. If people want to, you know, where can people find you if they want to follow you? Um, On all the Twitters and the LinkedIn's and the... I don't know, not the Facebooks. Um, that would be weird. Um, but yeah, insider.com um, slash advertising. Thanks to membership and subscription suite pool, that's with three O's, for sponsoring this season of the Media Voices podcast and our upcoming Media Moments 2022 report, which Esther's just told you how to register for. The all-in-one platform helps publishers convert, manage, and retain members and subscribers. You can find out more about them at pool.com tech triple o and we'll link to them from our show notes at voices.media so next week we're going to be looking at local news and why 2022 has been such a pivotal year for local and regional publishers so much to talk about then so fingers crossed you'll join us again next week but for now thank you so much for listening and goodbye (laughs) ta-ta